It is ordered that the sentence of six years direct imprisonment in respect of count two and the two years imprisonment in respect of count three be served concurrently with the six years direct imprisonment in respect of Two months before sentencing Hewitt to prison, Judge Bam found the former Grand Slam tennis champion guilty on two counts of rape and one of sexual assault. All of the complainants were women he had coached as girls. In his judgment, Bam highlighted the striking similarity in the victims' versions of events. He said there was no evidence before the court to indicate any collaboration, collusion or possible conspiracy. SABC News, however, is in possession of documents which prove that all three of Hewitt's accusers communicated extensively with one another before the trial. In court, the women testified that they had had limited contact with each other and had never discussed the case. Law expert Llewellyn Kaluis explains how this information could have influenced the trial. It has a bearing on the credibility of the witnesses. It's not unethical, but it's not the ideal situation because witnesses discussing the matter with each other can influence one another, and obviously that is not in the interest of justice. Obviously, where a person states unequivocally under oath that he or she did not have any uh, discussions with any of the other witnesses, it's a matter of that person basically lying under oath. Uh, that is in itself a crime. Typically where that happens, uh, I won't be surprised if the state then decides to actually prosecute a person for perjury. Correspondence between the women shows that two of Hewitt's accusers had discussed whether they had a criminal case, even if penile penetration did not occur. In the correspondence, Tolkien and Sheehan discussed the definition of rape almost three years before the trial. Kaluis explains that because Hewitt was tried under the old Sexual Offences Act, anything less than a male sexual organ penetrating a female sexual organ would not have constituted rape. The other alternative available at that stage is what we call indecent assault. Indecent assault is one of those crimes that falls within the so-called prescription period that is applicable in the Criminal Procedure Act. The mere fact that 20 years have expired since the date of, let's call it then, indecent assault, he could have not have been charged anymore for that specific offence. So if there was no sexual penetration, then obviously it does not amount to that. He should have been acquitted on rape charges then, and any other charges uh, already prescribed. In the correspondence, one woman repeatedly asked whether any other type of penetration would constitute rape. The other woman says that if penile penetration did not occur, there would be no backlash in South Africa. How this information will be received by the Supreme Court of Appeal is speculation, says Kaluis, and dependent on the arguments before the court. If I was acting on behalf of the accused, I would unequivocally argue that because there is this possibility of tampering with witness statements and corroboration between one another in advance, and because they might have lied on one or two aspects or facts, the court must be compelled to also think that they might have been lying altogether about everything else. The state on the other side might say, but listen, the mere fact that they lied about one specific issue does not in itself give a negative character to the totality of the evidence because there are more than sufficient case laws suggesting that uh, the mere fact that the witness lied about one thing does not make the totality of such evidence unreliable or irrelevant. The court has granted Hewitt leave to appeal his sentence, but not his conviction. To date, Hewitt's attorney, Alvin Gribeno, says they have been unable to convince the Supreme Court of Appeal that he should be given permission to appeal his conviction as well. So obviously we are waiting a date to be allocated for the appeal against sentence.
As far as the uh, refusal of our application for leave to appeal against the conviction is concerned, we filed a petition to the Supreme Court of Appeal requesting that the decision of the appeal court to refuse uh, our client's leave to appeal against his conviction be referred to the court for reconsideration. Hewitt's advocate, Johanna Engelbracht, has indicated that he will be requesting the documentation from the SABC, which will then be submitted to the Supreme Court of Appeal. In other developments, a U.S. court has ordered the 75-year-old Hewitt to pay damages totaling 16.6 million rand to one of his American victims. Heather Connor claims she was raped by Hewitt when he coached her in the USA in the 1970s. Engelbrecht says Hewitt did not have the money to defend himself and does not have the money to pay damages. Connor was also in contact with Hewitt's South African victims. Evidence in possession of the SABC also suggests that at least two of Hewitt's accusers jointly hired a private investigator and that they may have withheld information from the prosecution. One of the women also claims to have had access to the police docket. It is unclear what effect this information may have on the appeal process. Jermaine Krecher in Johannesburg.